introduce our speaker this morning, Dr. Ryan Hartwig. Ryan is a consummate scholar, an effective practitioner, a very favorite classroom professor, and now he's the, the uh, uh, provost at Vanguard University over in uh, the Costa Mesa, right? Uh, uh, Ryan is a former student, and now I'm learning from him reading his three recently published books over the past few years. And, uh, but most of all, uh, Ryan is a great husband and dad, right, Jill? Most of the time, yeah. Has four beautiful kids, and is just a, a good guy. And I love him to death. And it's my pleasure, Ryan, come and share the word with us. Okay, it's bud. Good to be here. Good to see you all, and it's a, just a joy to be able to be here. Your pastor is very, very special to, uh, to Jill and our kids, and to me, certainly. Uh, we've known each other now for 25 or so, so years. It's crazy. Um, I know, just kids, exactly. But he's really special. And as I've gotten to be here and be with you a couple of times and be with your leaders several times, this has become a very special place to me as well. And so I'm so grateful to be here with you this morning and to open up God's word with you. Now, there are those things in life that when you see them, you know that you're seeing the real thing rather than a second-class substitute. Things like the marbling on a really great steak or the greasy crunch of a McDonald's fry. Yes, I can have high-class tastes, and let's just say not as high-class tastes. Or maybe if you're a sports fan, you know, and you see a, a, a young baseball prospect with the five tools, you know that there's somebody who's got a chance at being a star, or maybe the footwork of an amazing quarterback to come. Or maybe it's the five features of a $100 bill that distinguish it so that you know what the real is rather than and the fake. I don't know if you know this, but there are five features. When the Treasury put out the new bill about 10 years ago, they designed five features that you could see that would distinguish a $100 bill from, from all, of the, all of the counterfeits that people would want to do. In fact, I have, I have one of them in front of me here. I was, yeah, that's right. So someone's buying lunch. Maybe it's me, right? Okay. So, so here's the deal. Okay, I'm going to tell you about these real quick, just in case, like, at some point, you got to take some money from like a shady character or something. Uh, you're you're going to know, you know, what it is that you can that you can look at here. There actually are five features, and the experts say that the best way to spot a fake is to study over and over and over again the real thing. So if you want to know like what's a, what's a real dollar bill or how, how you could see a counterfeit instead, you would want to study this to see it, right? So there's, there's five things that you can see here. The first three things, you have to tilt the note to be able to see them. The first one is this blue security ribbon. And as you turn it like this, it has blues and you'll see the images of bells and 100s uh, there's there. And those bells and those 100s move from side to side but that's not it. There's also this bell in the inkwell. There's a bell right here in the inkwell, and when you tilt it, it will turn from copper to green. But that's not all. Also, when you flip it, right, when you turn it, the, the number here, there's a, there's a hundred here at the bottom, right here if you see this, okay? There's a hundred, and when you turn that one, it changes color as well. But that's not all. You also, there's two other things you can do that you check it with lights. I don't know if you've been in a restaurant or something, you know, and you pay with a $100 bill and the, and the clerk does something like this. Well, when you hold it up, there's two other things. One is that you'll see when you hold it up, a watermark 
a watermark image of ben Benjamin Franklin to the right of the portrait. And you can see it both on the front and on the back. And then finally, there's one more thing, and that is the security thread. There's a thread that you hold it up to the light, you basically are able to see this, this, um, this, this thread that reads what USA 100 across the top when you see Benjamin Franklin's portrait. So there are these five things that the treasury put in place so that we could be able to distinguish the real thing from something that is fake. So you here have been studying Acts. That's what I hear. You've been, you've been learning about the early church. You've been learning about what happened when the Spirit came at Pentecost and rested on and invaded the early Christian church. And then what did they do? And this morning, we're going to pick up that study and we're going to look at the marks of a spirit-filled church. We're going to look at the marks of a spirit-filled church. Now go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And I realize that that's not what's in your bulletin, but I, but I, 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 I shared on Friday night when I was with the refresh group, with the, with the leadership group here, I shared with them Ephesians chapter 3, but this morning I thought I would do something different. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse, chapter 2, starting in verse 42, through 47. Now, as you turn there, I want to clarify something I just said. I just used the term spirit-filled. I don't know what, what went on with you when I said that, if there was something that maybe you got some, some chills or some uncomfortability or whatever else, but let me just share what I mean when I say spirit-filled. I, I don't mean that in any sense related to your practice or not of foreign tongues or of prophecy or of the kinds of things that have been used in the past. To, to deem a fellowship or a church spirit-filled. Now, certainly we could talk about that at some time, but that's not today's message. Rather, what I mean by spirit-filled as I use that is a people who are so full of the Holy Spirit, a people where the Spirit is so alive and is so well among them, such as what happened at Pentecost, and that you see in the first part of, of chapter 2, that people are convicted and are saved and are growing into the fullness of who God has designed them to be. In a sense, spirit-filled means spirit-invaded, spirit-permeated, spirit-active. Does that make sense? So when I talk about spirit-filled, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a body, a church, that is just so overcome and so overwhelmed by the spirit that this is what it is that we see. And so today we're going to talk about four marks of that kind of church. If you're keeping score at home, if you're taking notes, it's going to be a real simple outline. Four marks. So we're going to fill those in as we go. But first, I want to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And as we read this, I want you to notice the ands. I actually really love it in this passage, right? It feels as though as Luke is writing this and he's sharing what's going on, he's telling this, this, this story of excitement, kind of like, like, like if you were to go, um, go to Disneyland with a kid, maybe a 12-year-old kid, and it was their first time, and then they came home and they had to describe it to someone else. He'd be like, and then we did this, and then you won't believe it, we went here, and then, and then. And this is what you see. So I want you to notice these ands as we walk through here. So starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves, this is this early church that is forming, that's the day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together 
and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then the last and, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this morning, we're going to pull out four key marks of the Spirit-filled church. Each of each of Is that me? Am I doing that? Not me. Wow, I don't know. All right. Hey, that, that's fun. I'll try, to, I'll try to keep it together if it is me. Yeah, I'll push that down. Maybe that's what's going on. Four marks, each one of which I think will stir us to self-reflection. Okay, ready? Ready for this? First mark. A spirit-filled church is marked by devotion. A spirit-filled church is marked by devotion. See that in verse 42. And they devoted themselves. And then it says what they devoted themselves to. Now, I got to tell you, of course, every church is devoted to something. And the quick question for us to think about there is, what is it that we are devoted to? Seriously, think about that. What are you devoted to, and how does that compare to what these Christians were devoted to? These Christians were devoted to four things. They were, they were committed to, to teaching, to knowing God's word. They were, they were committed to fellowship, to spending time together. They were devoted to eating together, spending time. And then they were devoted to praying and to seeking God. Now think about things that you are personally devoted to. Think about them. What are the things that you are personally devoted to? Not just in your spiritual life, but just in your life in general. What are those things? And here's the thing. You will only devote yourself to something if you are deeply motivated in other words, if you are hungry for that something. Of course, no one is devoted to, to eat healthy or to frequent the gym who isn't motivated for some, some, some sort of level of health or something that they want there, right? You only would do that if you're, if you're hungry, if you're motivated, if you're desirous for something. And here's something I know. I, I, I'm a person who studies groups and teams and organizations and so on. I know this, that all communities bond around their devotion to something to an interest, to an idea, to a person, to something. And what we see here in this church is that these early Christians, they, they, they gathered around their devotion towards knowing God's word and towards fellowshipping together and towards seeking the Lord. What is it for you? You see, what Paul is saying here, he's saying that when the Spirit fills a people, individuals, and a church, you will be motivated to pursue these things because this is what the church looks like. And I want you to see there, right, of course, the first mark here of a spirit-filled church is that they were devoted, but I want you to see what you see right there, the end of that verse, what actually happens. You see, there's this increasing sense of awe. See, there's this, there's this way that, that people are seeing like, wow, as we're devoted, look at what God is doing, and look at the things, the ways that he is at work in our midst. So that's the first one. Not only is the Spirit-filled church marked by devotion, but secondly, the Spirit-filled church is marked by generosity. The Spirit-filled church is marked by generosity. Now look, at, now look down to verse, uh, verse 43, no, 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now notice above, you see there in verse 43, Luke says, and awe came upon every soul. And then we move down to, and then in 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
See, there's something that goes on when we start to have this sort of awe. It's a fantastic book, actually, by a, by a gentleman named Paul Tripp. Paul's a pastor for many years out in the Northwest. He's a prolific author. But he wrote a book called Awe. It's, a, it's really a fantastic book. It's Awe, Why It Matters for Everything We Think, Say, and Do. I would highly commend it to you. But, 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 but see how he kind of links together awe for the Lord and what the Lord is doing and then the way that we then would act. He says this, When awe of God has captured your heart, ministry will fill your schedule. You, you won't need the church to schedule ministry. Let's Should use, we do this? Let's use this one alone. Okay, sounds great. Are we good? Okay, great. Well, let's hope that's the deal. He says this, okay. When awe of God has captured your heart, ministry will fill your schedule. You won't need the church to schedule ministry for you. You will approach work, marriage, parenting, extended family, friendships, and community with a ministry mentality. Do you see the connection here, right? When awe, this, this awe that we have, right, this awe of watching what the Lord does will stir generosity in us towards others. And of course, that then begins to express itself in ministry. And then look at what, they, what these early Christians were doing. The first thing they were doing is they were together and they were holding all things in common. The way I think about that is when I go over to a friend's house, where we're, like, we're like refrigerator friends. You know, those are the kind of friends, right? When you walk in and you don't go ask what they have in the fridge, you just go look. <laughs> you walk in, you walk to the fridge, and you, and you open it up, and you see what's there, right? And you help yourself, just like it is your own home. The other thing they were doing is they were helping each other out. What, they ha- what one had was someone else's. They didn't guard their own stuff. They didn't hoard it. They didn't say mine, but they said, hey, I will share it. Something that has struck me as I've traveled around the world and traveled around the world into third world communities and so on is, is it struck me how generous they are with everything they have, but how oftentimes those of us in the first world hold so tightly the things that we have. Feels weird, doesn't it? They have so little, but they're wide open. We have so much, but we hold it tight. But then even beyond that, we see that these people were selling their things and distributing their proceeds. I mean, I think, I guess again, in our mind, it's like having a garage sale that benefits a kid with cancer. But you see, they didn't have a bunch of extra stuff in their closets and garages, the extra stuff that they put towards the garage sale. No, it was the stuff that they used every day. It was the stuff that they needed for life. And they said, no, we'll sell it and we'll distribute those proceeds. Now, I think we just have to pause here for a second. Like, that's, that, that's radical. That's really extreme. That's really crazy, isn't it? To say, hey, there's things that I have, there's things that I use, but for the good of somebody else, I'm willing to put those things out there and share that with somebody else. And, you know, I think actually when we read, when we read chapter 2 in Acts, I think a lot of us from a lot of different traditions read this and we have a hard time believing it. Am I the only one? Or maybe, 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 maybe you have too as you study this. You look at this and you say, I have a hard, hard time believing that this is actually what actually happened. But I have a question for you. Is it harder for you to believe that people actually spoke in tongues in the prophecy that had occurred? Or is it harder for you to believe that their community was so committed to one another that they sold their possessions to help carry one another's burdens? To me, to be honest, I think actually the latter maybe is even more surprising than the former. I'm like, wow, you actually did that. Now, let me be clear for a second. I don't think this is like a first century advocacy for socialism. 
But you see, this is what people who'd been invaded by the Holy Spirit were stirred to do. They were generous with one another. They were not compelled by some government entity or some edict, but they were compelled by an urging in their hearts to be generous, to be generous. These were people who were generous to one another, carrying each other's burdens, helping one another out. Now, I've kind of used as my examples, thinking about that physically or material with stuff. But this also is like emotional and spiritual as well. Think about this. Are we holding our emotions? Are we holding our challenges in common? Scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. But I think a lot of us in the church could do better at that. So you see the second mark here, right, is a spirit-filled church is marked by generosity. A community that carries one another's burdens, whatever kind they might be. Third, third mark. A spirit-filled church is marked by gathering together for fellowship and worship. Skip down here now to, uh, to verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. Real quick here, notice the ways in which they gather. They both attend the temple, the church, and, and gather together in people's homes in big groups like you are doing today and in smaller groups like you all do throughout the week, whether that's here for a Bible study or a small group in someone's home or a or dinner group or whatever else. And also notice they receive with generous hearts. I don't know about you, but I've not thought about that so much, right? I've thought about my generosity in terms of how I give, but not so much in terms of how I receive. But somehow Luke is telling us, hey, we need to be thinking about how it is that we actually receive. Can, that, and then that somehow there's some way that we receive generously. It's caused me to think a little bit. I, 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 have you ever noticed that nowadays we don't so much borrow tools or go over from, from a neighbor or go over to a neighbor's house to ask for an egg or a cup of flour or whatever else? We'd rather just jump in the car and drive down to the grocery store or the hardware store to get it ourselves. Why is that? What's gone on with us that we now do that? We're 20, 30 years ago. That was a very common thing. See, I don't think it really is an issue that we are unwilling to give, but I think it's that we are unwilling to ask and to receive from others. I think too many of us, me included, are not very good receivers because we feel like it will put us in debt. And that's the last thing we want to do is to be in debt. That you gave me an egg once and now I owe something to you. That doesn't sound like a very generous way to receive. And then finally see, right, as they did this, right, they fellowship and they worship. They praised God. They knew who was the giver of their community and they praised him. Please don't miss the connection here between gratitude and worship. You see, right, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, and, and, then, and as they did, they then praised God. It's amazing what gratitude does. Gratitude forces you to think about someone else, not yourself. Of course, it's really hard to thank yourself, right? <laughs> thank yourself. But when you're grateful, right, you realize you're grateful to one another. And it's easy then to praise the person to whom you are grateful. So the first three, the Spirit-filled church is marked by devotion. The Spirit-filled church is marked by generosity, both in giving and receiving. And the Spirit-filled church is marked by gathering. And finally, number four, a Spirit-filled church is marked by missional growth. Final verse there, right, if you look in verse 47. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Yes, that's right. Something happened so beautiful in the spirit-filled church that others are attracted to it. When the church does church well, others will be attracted to us, to the way that we live in community, to the way that we treat each other, to the way that we gather together and we offer our praise and our worship to the Almighty God. And as they see that, they will want to come and say, can I be a part of that? And as they come in, they are able then to also come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior. Notice here, it does not say all of a sudden, but says day by day. Of course, that's on purpose because it takes time. Soul saving is a one-on-one process. And have you ever noticed that sometimes it takes a community of faith to influence person? to influence just one person, just day by day, moment by moment, time after time after time. That's what was happening in this church, right? This was a church that was experiencing missional growth. There's one last thing I want you to see here, is that there's something different about this fourth mark that's different than the first three. To be honest, this is really not something that you and I can do anything about. Notice here who the actor is here. It's the Lord. And the Lord added. Notice this. This is not something you manufacture. This is not something you force. No, this is something that God does as you do what you can do. Which is devote yourself to the teaching and the learning of God's word. To fellowshipping together. To eating together. Praying and together. Praying, praying both individually and together. It, 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 this, this happens as you are generous to one another. Carrying one another's burdens. Whatever they might be. This happens when you are gathering together. Both in church services like this. And in smaller groups. Smaller settings throughout the week. You see when you engage in these ways. It will be so attractive to others that you will see God day by day adding people to this church, to his church, saving them and offering them new life. So, pretty simple, pretty straightforward message that Luke has for us, I think, as we open up the word here. We look at Acts chapter 2. Four marks. Four marks. The first mark is this. A spirit-filled church is marked by devotion. My question for you is, what are you devoted to? Really, seriously, what are you devoted to? Both individually and corporately. And might today be a time to commit to shifting your devotion? I don't know. And a spirit-filled church is marked by generosity. Who might God be calling you to be generous towards? What do you have? Time and energy, perspective, friendship, emotional capacity, What do you have that somebody else might benefit from and that you could share with them? And the Spirit-filled church is marked by gathering together for fellowship and worship. The question for you is how how might the Lord be nudging you toward a different or a deeper engagement in community in some way? And finally, the Spirit-filled church is marked by missional growth. My question for you is, is how you are living and how you are doing church as a community, is it deeply attractive to others? What is deeply attractive? And what could you do or how could you lean in such that it becomes even more and more and more attractive to people who need what this community is about, about the hope and the light and the love of Jesus Christ? 
So my friends, Palm Desert, this community, this region needs you. It needs you, Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church, to be in all of its fullness as a spirit-filled church. I know because I've been around here and I hear the stories. I know that you have been and that you are a great blessing to this region. And I am trusting that as you lean into these marks of a spirit-filled church in this season, that you will see God do even more, immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine according to his power, the Holy Spirit that is at work within you. Amen.